Hey, good morning, everyone. Lovely to be with you here this morning. For those I haven't met, my name's Andrew Main. I'm Gateway's Ormo Campus Pastor, and I've come up the freeway to be with you, and Andrew Circum is headed down the freeway to be with Ormo, and Jason's headed out to Logan City, so we're all over the place this morning. We just put all the preachers in a bucket, shook it up, and we uh, ended up where we ended up, but it's really great to be here with you this morning, and I want to lead a little bit out of our time of communion, where we've looked at the life and the story of Jesus, and especially what it was like for him to embrace what God had asked him and called him to do in those final moments on the cross. And I want to start by just asking us a question or looking at a statement. And I wonder whether you've ever felt that this is true, that if God is in this, it should be easy. If God is in this, it should be easy. If God is in this thing that I've been called to or is uh, in this walk that he's called me to take or in the direction that he's asked of me, if God's in the middle of that, then surely he's gonna go before me, he's gonna open the way, he's gonna knock over any obstacles in our path and we just get the joy of walking in behind and embracing all the good things in that story. Like if God's in it, surely this should be easy. Now you might see that statement on the screen and think to yourself, I disagree with that. Like in my mind, I disagree with that. Or theologically, my understanding of who God is in the scriptures, I disagree with that. But I wanna ask whether you've ever felt that in your heart. Just to put you at ease, I have. I wrestle with this at times. You know, like, God, you've asked me to be generous and, and to give with my finances. Or God, you've directed us to be generous in this particular area. Well, if you've asked us to do that, how come things are so tight right now? How come things are going wrong? How come the car broke down now? Or how come the dishwasher broke down now? Or how come one of the kids got sick now when we're doing the very thing that you called us to do? God, how come right now when I'm doing what you've asked of me and I'm in my business or in my work world, I'm actually leading and living with integrity? I'm doing things honestly and I'm, I'm working diligently. I'm not ripping anybody off. And despite doing that, that you've called me to, everything around me seems to be falling down and being made difficult. How come, God, if you've called me to this, it's not easier than it is? How come, God, you've called us as a family to be faithful and to serve? Why right now does it feel like everything's just hard and difficult? I don't know if you've ever thought or felt this. I know I certainly have. But if God's in this, surely it should be easy. I hear a lot of people say that they would love to live in the times of the early church. People that have studied the scriptures and read through the book of Acts have said, wouldn't it be great to be part of the early church? But God was doing an incredible thing. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, in the New Testament, there's four uh, books that tell the story of Jesus. They're called the Gospels, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different people that tell Jesus' story from different perspectives. Then the first book after that is the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostle. And it tells us the story of how the early church was born with the people that were around Jesus, his disciples, his apostles, how the early church started and how it spread through the world. We read all these incredible stories of what God was doing and how God was wor working through ordinary people to see supernatural change happen in people's lives. Let me just tell you a few of the highlights from the book of Acts. And if you get the chance, if you haven't already, why don't you sit and have a read? And it's full of highlights, things that we all think, wouldn't it be great to be part of that? I mean, Acts chapter two, Jesus follows, his disciples are together and observers looking at them think they're drunk because God has just 
by His Holy Spirit filled them and they're starting to speak words. And to some people, it just sounds all gobbledygook, but actually God had equipped them to speak the message of Jesus in a language that everybody in the crowd, in the community there, was able to hear the story of Jesus in their own language. But people thought they were drunk. But Peter stands up, one of Jesus' close friends, stands up and addresses the crowd. And he preaches this great little sermon and 3,000 people respond. 3,000 people that day respond to the gospel of Jesus. You've got to understand, for me as a preacher, that is just like heaven right there. Like if three of you respond this morning, I'll be a little bit happy. If 30 of you respond, I'll retire today. Feel like I've just hit my moment and I'll go to glory happy. Like 3,000 people respond to Peter's message. Very next chapter, Acts chapter three, Peter and John are walking to the temple and there's a man sitting there who everybody knew because he'd been sitting there day after day after day. Actually, he's over 40 years old, the Bible tells us. And he was sitting there begging for money and begging for food because he'd never been able to walk. And Peter and John come past that day and pray for him. And in the name of Jesus, he's healed. Strength returns to his legs. And a man that's never walked for the first time stands to his feet and walks. What an incredible story. Imagine to have been part of that moment, to have seen that happen. We move to the next chapter, Acts chapter four, and the church gathers together after that moment. And they're so enthused in prayer that as they're praying and the presence of God is so just tangible around them that the room shook. Like we've had some good prayer meetings these last couple of weeks here at McKenzie and at Ormo and down at Redlands. I think the room probably half shook at Redlands the other night. But I just think, man, imagine being in a prayer meeting that was just the presence of God was so tangibly present that the room shook. That chapter goes on to tell us what the early church community was like. It said there were people in there that had great wealth and would sell property so that other people sitting in that same room didn't have to go without. There was such an outpouring of generosity that there were no needy people among them. What a great testimony to the work of God. Acts chapter five is a little bit of a follow on from the guy that started to walk that had never walked. Peter and John get in some trouble, find themselves in jail. And it says in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord appears and opens the door of the jail and they just walk out with no one laying a hand on them. Miraculous supernatural story. Acts chapter nine, we first get introduced to a man by the name of Saul. Saul has a name change shortly after and becomes Paul. And Paul, for those familiar with the scriptures, is one of the great writers of the New Testament. And a lot of the back part of the book of Acts tells Paul's story. But before that, he was a guy that hated the church, hated Christians, and was doing everything in his power to stamp out this new movement that had emerged. But on the road one day, Saul, soon to become Paul, has an encounter with Jesus. It's like a lightning bolt from heaven hits him, and in that moment, he is transformed. Like some of you right now are praying for someone in your family or your workplace that's just antagonistic on every front to your faith. You just want that lightning bolt moment. That's what you desire more than anything, just that transformational moment where God changes someone's life and future in an instant. That's what happened to Paul. Later in that chapter, Acts chapter nine, there's a young lady by the name of Tabitha who it tells us has passed away and the disciples pray for her and she's resurrected back to life. As we get further into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, it says that Paul's ministry was so powerful and God was so at work through his life that when people touched his hankies or the apron that he was wearing, they were being healed. 
Like you are welcome to come and touch my hanky later today. You probably won't get healed. You'll probably catch something. That's all I wanna say. But Paul was doing something incredible. People were getting healed as they were touching items of clothing that he had on him. Incredible. Acts chapter 20 tells the story of a young man so desperate to hear one of Paul's sermons that he climbs up to a a third story window and he's sitting in the window listening to the sermon. And even though Paul's this great man of God, his sermons were sending the guy to sleep and he fell asleep, fell out of the window, passed away. They gathered around him, prayed and he came back to life. So if you think falling asleep in my sermon today is gonna get you out of listening to the rest of it, you've got another thing coming. Well, just, the book of Acts is full of highlights of the supernatural power of God at work. I read moments like that and I've had some moments in my own life and in my own story where I've seen God do supernatural stuff and you live for those moments. They are just incredible when you get to be present when God in His power is just enacting change and transformation in people's lives, either physically or spiritually or emotionally. There are amazing moments to be part of. And the book of Acts is just this one after the other highlight reel of these supernatural acts of God. But I can tell you one thing that all the people that were present in those stories never thought. They never once thought that if God's in it, it should be easy. They never once thought that if God's in it, it should be easy. And you've just got to look at the fruit of what was happening to know that God was in it. Actually, they were living right in the center of God's design and will for their lives. But at no point did they start to think because God's in this, it's easy. Because I want to go back and retell part of that story, but not leave out some of the bits that I left out. Because alongside all of the highlights, listen to what happened as the momentum of the church grew. You see, as the momentum of God's work in the community grew, so did the opposition and the cost and the pain of actually following in His footsteps. Because alongside all those highlights, resurrections, healings, great preachers, came these stories, Acts chapter four, the beggar is healed. People didn't know what to do with that and didn't know what to do with Peter and John's message, so they got thrown into jail. And if you read the book of Acts, this was just the start of regular incarceration for people that preached the name and the message of Jesus. Acts chapter five, they're dragged in before the religious, the uh, society leaders of the day who order that they get flogged and told not to speak in the name of Jesus again. Acts chapter six, we meet a man by the name of Stephen. He's a godly man who's appointed to wait tables and hand out food to the widows in the community that were doing it tough. But he was so passionate about Jesus, he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And people were offended by what he had to say. So they found some others to come and falsely accuse Stephen. Now, if you've ever had a wrong or just a a completely made up word spoken against you, you know how deep that pain could be. But they used that against Stephen to then accuse him. And Stephen, this man of God living in the center of God's will, gets dragged out of the city, thrown into a pit and has rocks thrown at him. Not so it hurt, but till he died. Acts chapter eight. Saul, who becomes Paul, was the chief antagonist of the church, was organizing an assault against the church, was walking into their meetings and dragging people off to prison because they believed in Jesus. Be like you and I sitting here today, just waiting for people to come in and start dragging us off to prison because we gathered together. That's what it was like. Acts chapter 12 tells us that James, the brother of John, close to the Christian community, is put to death by the sword. Acts chapter 14, Paul himself, now a follower of Jesus, is preaching the message of Jesus, is dragged outside the city, beaten so badly that people thought he was dead because the mob got to him. 
Acts chapter 16 tells of the disciples being stripped naked and beaten. And that's just in the book of Acts. History tells us that the stories just continued on and continued to get worse and worse. History and historians and other writers have told us that all of the disciples, apart from John who died as an old man exiled on an island, the rest of the disciples lost their life because they proclaimed the message of Jesus. Many were crucified, some were killed by sword. All meant a violent end because they lived in the center of God's will for their life. You see, if God's in it, it should be easy, right? None of the disciples, the apostles in the early church who were living smack in the center of God's will would have ever told you that doing what God called you to do was gonna be easy. And I reckon my message today is important for some of us because I reckon right now some of us are facing opposition to the point where we're ready to give up. We've tried to be faithful to God. We've tried to listen to his call on our life. We've tried to be obedient to the things that he's called us to do. But there's just days where we go, this is just too hard. It's too much. And I'm not sure God's on my side right now. And we might be right on the edge, feeling like we're just about to give up. We're about to throw it in. We're about to change directions. And I reckon God wants to speak to some of us today and say, don't give up. When you live in the center of my will, often that's when the opposition comes. And opposition isn't a commentary on God's love or care or concern for you. Sometimes opposition is the greatest compliment that you are living in the center of God's will for your life. When we took off six years ago to start Ormo, everything in us wanted to say that because God was in it and God was going before us, it was gonna be easy. I can tell you right now, it has not been easy. It hasn't been easy. But we're starting to learn to take that as a compliment. Because when the opposition comes, we feel like that is when we're actually starting to take ground for the kingdom of God. You know, Acts tells us that opposition takes many forms and it took many forms for the early church. It takes many forms for us today. One of the opposition that the early church faced was an opposition to their message. In the days of the early church, it actually came from other religious leaders, but these religious leaders were the community leaders. They're in some ways, you know, the, the government of the day. And these religious leaders had great opposition to the message of Jesus. Even today, there's great opposition to the message of Jesus. When Peter and John in Acts chapter four come before the religious leaders to explain themselves and to talk about the beggar that was now able to walk, and they say, we did nothing, there's no power, there's nothing special about us. This was just in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. People were offended by that message. Actually, this is what the scripture tells us in Acts 4.2. It said that the leaders were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. See, we're gonna find opposition to our message. When we teach Jesus, when we teach the teachings of Jesus, when we live the life of Jesus, our message will be offensive to some. And because it's offensive, there'll be opposition that comes with that. Now in the early church, the opposition led them to being thrown in jail, getting flogged, getting stoned in pits. For some of us, the opposition we come against is great ridicule or isolation or, you know, there's people in your world that because of the message, they oppose your message. But it wasn't just the message that brought great opposition. There was actually a cultural opposition that came as people started to live out the story and the values of the kingdom of God. You see, when the kingdom of God and the culture that it carries starts to invade and impact the culture in which we live, there are things that are gonna hit front on, head on, that are gonna clash. 
And it was the same in the early church and it's the same as today. When you start to live the values of the kingdom of God, values like love and justice and compassion and mercy and selflessness and self-sacrifice and generosity, those things are gonna clash at times with the culture in which we live. And it was the same in the book of Acts. There's a story that's told to us in Acts chapter 19 where Paul is in Ephesian. Paul is in Ephesus and he's teaching people that there is a living God. His name is Jesus and he came and he gave his life out of love and sacrifice for them. And he's proclaiming the message of Jesus and in the same breath as he's proclaiming the message of Jesus, he's saying, see all these idols that riddle your city? See all these things that have been fashioned out of hand or shaped out of wood or gold or silver or bronze? They're worthless. They're just things made by human hands. And as people started to embrace the message of Jesus and started to turn away from the worship of idols, you know what? Some people started to get affected very practically by that. And Acts 19 tells us the story of a silversmith, a tradesman who made money out of making idols. This was his livelihood and this was his business. And you see what? The kingdom of God came in and the culture started to clash. And he was losing business because of the message of Jesus. So the silversmith gets together his buddies and he says this, our trade is gonna lose its good name in this city. And so they incite a riot, some violence, some opposition because there's a culture clash. Do you think if we continue to live out the values of the kingdom of God that we're never gonna have a culture clash? We celebrate as a church when we invest in in, um, different ministries and programs that are rescuing people out of things like slavery. But you know what? When you rescue someone out of slavery, someone starts losing out because we're doing that. When you rescue someone out of a drug addiction, someone stops getting paid because they depend on that addiction to stick. See, when the kingdom of God breaks in, there's gonna be opposition because the kingdom of God clashes with the values of the culture in which we're a part. So we should expect more opposition as we continue to live faithfully the things of Jesus in our world and our community. There's opposition to our message. There's opposition that comes because of the clash of values. There's also a spiritual opposition. This is sometimes harder to read in different parts of the story, although it pervades all parts of the story. Jesus himself spoke to this. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says these words. He says, I've come to give people life, but there is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is one who actually is opposed to my message, who actually wants to rip people off, actually wants to take their joy, actually wants to take their future, actually wants to get them addicted to things and, and, and caught in things that are gonna stop them ever living the life that Jesus called them to live. And we have a spiritual opposition that we face when we live in the center of God's will for our life. I wanna say this morning, opposition is expected, expect more opposition when you start to live and proclaim the life of Jesus. You know, all of these things are hard. I don't want anyone to walk out of here today thinking like, oh, because that's the case, opposition, we just should face it and it should be easy. I was flicking through uh, Acts the other day as I was preparing this message and in my Bible, it's set up so all the words of Jesus are in red text. So you get to the gospels and there's lots of red, but as you get further on and it's telling the story in Acts, there's not a lot of red text, but as I was flicking through looking for something, I just saw this little line of red text, Acts chapter 18. I thought, what's that? And it just caught my eye and I paused and I read it. It says this, it says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Here's the words of Jesus in red. Do not be afraid. 
Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And the story says Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. As I reflected on that, I thought that Paul was just at a point in his life living in the center of God's will for him. But you know what the center of God's will meant for Paul? He was beaten, he was flogged, he was thrown in prison, he had people spew out all kinds of terrible things about him, he lost friends, he lost reputation, he didn't have a house to call his own. Like there was a massive cost for Paul to do what he was doing, living in the center of God's will. And I reckon in this moment, in Acts chapter 18, God just knows he needs encouragement and says, Paul, this city you're in right now, they're not gonna beat you, they're not gonna harm you, I've got plenty of supporters here, they're gonna look after you. I reckon Paul just woke up going, that was the encouragement I needed because this opposition was getting to me. And so Paul decides to stay put for a while because he just needed a break from the opposition. The opposition's never easy. We don't welcome it and, and enjoy it. It gets to us. It starts to pull us down. It starts to cast doubt in our head. But when we know that we're coming against opposition because we're living the call of God on our life or we're living the values of the kingdom of God, we can make our peace with that at times. There's, there's one more type of opposition I wanna to speak to this morning that I think for some of us, this is the hardest one to face. And it's the opposition we face that makes no sense. It's not that we've got somebody who's arguing with us because of something we've spoken. It's not someone that's upset with us because there's a cultural clash. There's just things that are happening in our life, circumstantial opposition that comes that we can make no sense of. The things where you go, God, surely of all the stuff you have control over, this is just one thing where I could have got a little break. Acts 27, 28, there's a little story of Paul. It stretches over a couple of chapters. Let me paraphrase it for you. Paul, we find out he's on a boat as a prisoner. He's on a convict ship. And they're heading off somewhere, wherever they're taking the prisoners. It says there's over 200 prisoners on the ship. And just we read between the lines as the story goes on that the ship was overcrowded, that the ship was uncomfortable, that there wasn't a lot of food on the ship and they were encountering some pretty rough weather to the point where they're, they're sailing into storms and they're worried that the ship's gonna hold up. And so eventually the story ends with the, the ship actually running aground. There's a shipwreck, the prisoners and all on board end up on this island. They find out the island's name's Malta. But Paul's gotta be sitting there on the beach going, these are not ideal circumstances. I mean, I've been doing all God called me to do. It's bad enough being a prisoner. It's bad enough getting stuck on a ship, being hungry on the ship, overcrowded on the ship, not having a shower for a couple, I've, been, I've had a shower for four hours and I'm already ready for another one right now. Not having a shower for months. And now we're shipwrecked. So Paul's on the beach with everyone else and decides to go build a fire. Goes into the, you know, woods and collect some wood and they come and they build a fire on the beach. And the story tells us that as they light the fire, the heat drives a snake out from amongst the wood that they collected and guess what? Guess who it bites? Paul. What do you reckon Paul's thinking right now? Okay, God, this is all for you. I've given everything for you. I've lost so much for you. And God, I can put up with the beatings. I don't like them, but I know that that's what comes when I speak the name of Jesus. The opposition that comes because of the cultural clash, I get it. The religious leaders that are offended by our message, Jesus, I'm just gonna keep praying for them because they don't understand. But God, the snake, like the snake, 
What's the purpose in the snake? Look at all these other guys here that have never done a thing for you, just live selfish lives as criminals. Why can't the snake bite one of them? Why have everybody here on this beach has the snake grabbed me? And right now you're thinking the same thing. God, there's some circumstances in my life I make no sense of, they make no sense. I can't draw a line between any two things. It just makes no sense that right now, this is happening to me. How do we deal with that kind of opposition when things happen in life that make no sense? And you read the story, God brings glory out of that story. It says the snake doesn't affect Paul, but Paul's gotta be thinking right in that moment, why is it so hard to live in the center of God's will? And maybe right now you're thinking the same thing. Why is it so difficult to live right in the center of God's will? It's not just the opposition from outside, it's the opposition from the things that I feel like God should be able to control a little bit more. Or just give me a break. I just need a break. I need something to go my way. You know, if God's in this, it should be easy, right? Well, if God's in it, maybe it won't be easy. Opposition will come. Sometimes we'll be able to make sense of it and sometimes it may make no sense to us at all, but opposition will come. So rather than just leave you in a place of going, yes, opposition will come, what a great sermon. I'm looking forward to this week. Let me give you some encouragements about what we can do as we expect more opposition. First thing I wanna say this very, very practically is train for it. I wanna tell a running story this morning. It seems to be the flavor of the moment here at Gateway and we have a few staff members that I enjoy hanging out with that just love throwing running stories in everywhere because really what they want to do is brag about how good runners they are. I mean, if you haven't heard, Andrew Serkin run the London Marathon. Jason runs 40 kilometers on the Cleveland waterfront regularly. They just like throwing that in. I want to do an ode to the non-runners this morning. <laughs> so everything I'm about to tell you about marathon running is theory, not experience, okay? I have never run a marathon. I have no desire to run a marathon. It seems like there's a lot of better things that I'd like to do with probably for me six hours of my life than run a marathon. But I've read a little bit about people that run marathons and there's one thing that regularly gets talked about and it's this whole idea of hitting the wall. Now I can actually show you what it looks like because for a marathon runner, it usually happens at about the 30 kilometer mark, right? Being a non-runner and all the non-runners here will understand this. It happens for me at about the 30 meter mark, right? So you're running and everything's going well. Good form, you, have I got good form? I was watching Jason's podcast from a few weeks ago, getting some hints. And then you hit the 30 kilometer, 30 meter mark and everything in your body says it's time to stop like my body is telling me right now. <laughs> everything is crying out within you, it's time to stop, I've had enough, this is stupid. And it's a physical cry in your body. And there's a physical reason for it, something like glucose deprivation and that I'm not even gonna pretend like I know. But it's something that your body has been so depleted of some of the nutrients that it needs to actually sustain the exercise that you're subduing it to, that everything in your body says it's time to stop, your muscles start aching, your body starts to cry out and tell you it's done. They call it hitting the wall. But it's not just a physical reality, there's actually a mental reality to it because when your body starts singing out, your mind starts telling you the same thing. Instead of saying, what's the point of this? Like who finds joy in running 42 kilometers just for the heck of it? Like what am I gonna end up at the end of this? I'm just gonna have a story to tell my work colleagues that are gonna think whoop-de-doo. I'm gonna have a sermon illustration I can use at some point in my life. I'm gonna get a little thing that's got a number on it that says that I run it and I'm gonna get a certificate. Like who cares? 
that tavern I just rung past gives you a certificate for eating a two kilo rump steak in 13 minutes. That's the kind of certificate I could go with right now. I mean, what's the point? Who cares? My body's telling me to stop and your mind starts telling you it's time to stop. Theory says that marathon runners learn that hitting the wall is a thing that happens. And they learn to train their body and to train their mind to realize that this doesn't have to be the end. That they can press through, that their body won't give up on them, that there's some things that they can do, there's a pace that they can set, there's some things that they can drink and eat in that moment that will actually sustain them. And not only can they actually enable their body to physically finish the race, but mentally and emotionally, they can actually train themselves to know that it's coming, to expect it, so that when it does come, they press through and make it to the end. I think it's the same in our faith life. If we learn that opposition will come and we should expect opposition to come, and especially as we press more into the things of God, opposition will come. We can start to train ourselves to deal with it when it does come. We looked already in the communion story this morning of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, so overwhelmed with anxiety at the thought of going to the cross that he goes to the Father and says, if I can get away out of this, I will. But you know what? I'm gonna submit myself to your will. Because this is what you call, this is what we're doing. This is what we've been called to do. Let's finish this. Jesus earlier in his life gets led into the desert. The desert's not a really nice place. There's nowhere comfortable to sleep in the desert. There's not a great source of food in the desert. And there's no company in the desert. And Jesus is out there experiencing physically all the realities of the desert. And the enemy knows that it's a time of vulnerability for Jesus. And so comes and speaks to Jesus in that moment. He says, Jesus, you're hungry, you're thirsty. You just... Command the rocks to turn into bread. But you see, Jesus knows that opposition come and he trained himself. And he actually enters the conversation with that one that comes to accuse him and says, no, you will not get into my mind because I will not just depend on food to sustain me. I will depend on the word of God to sustain every part of my being. See, Jesus knew the word of God that he had and he used it to speak against the opposition that came. See, we can train ourselves. We can train ourselves in a couple of really practical ways as part of this church. We can be part of a life group. You know what? In those moments when you start hitting the wall, you need a good support crew. You need some people on the sidelines with a placard with your name on it and with some bottles of water and some glucose, whatever things that you put in your body. You need some people there saying, come on, don't give up. You can do this. You haven't got this far to end the story now. And if you're trying to do your Christian life and your Christian faith alone, it's time to find some people to surround yourself with. I wanna just tell you a little secret about everyone else sitting here in this congregation today. No one here has got it all together. So don't feel like when you come and start sharing about some of your weaknesses and vulnerabilities that everyone's gonna be shocked like they've never heard that story before. All of us have got some things that we need others to help us with, cheer us on and encourage us through. More than that, we can invest in in applying and just soaking in the Word of God so that the truth of God, so the encouragement of God's Word starts to become the narrative in our life. So when the opposition comes, we're ready for it. When we hit the wall, we're ready for it. When ministry gets hard, we're ready for it. When planning that church becomes difficult, we're ready for it. When family life and family season gets difficult and rocking up, getting up, I know right now how hard it is to get out of bed on a Sunday morning and drag five young kids out the door and wrestle with them in church. When that gets hard, you're ready for it. Because it will come, but you can be trained. You can prepare yourself to walk through that. So train for it. Second thing I wanna say is this. See the opportunity 
to turn opposition into an opportunity. There is nothing quite like opposition to focus us. Next weekend, the uh, rugby league season 2018 kicks off, the NRL kicks off. Who's excited about that? Me and a few others. 2018, the year of the Parramatta Eel. Can we just pause for a moment and pray, church, about that? I love footy, I love footy season, but I know for the last two or three months, all the teams have been gathering, they've been training, they've been preparing, they've been running some trial games. But you know what happens in training? You can get away with some stuff in training. You can get away with some stuff when there's no one at the other end of the park. So you can run a few trick plays, you can throw a few trick passes, you can try some fancy kicks, you can even get away with dropping the ball. Because in training when you drop the ball, the coach might yell at you or your teammates might get frustrated, you might be forced to run the drill again, but if you drop the ball, there's no real consequence in that moment. But next weekend, when you stand on the field and there's an opposition, man, this is when it gets really important. Because that opposition has studied you, they know your weaknesses, they know the things that they're gonna try and exploit, they've worked out the best way they possibly can to try and beat you, and so when you get on that field, there's no time for mucking around, there's no time for trying fancy things that don't come off normally, there's no time to drop the ball. If you wanna face up to that opposition, there's nothing like the opposition to focus you. And it's the same in our faith life, opposition focuses us. Sometimes opposition actually takes our minds and our focus away from the things that don't really matter in life. focus us on the things that really do. See, opposition can be turned into an opportunity. To take it away from a football illustration and ground about in Scripture, it says in Romans 5.3 this, not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So train for opposition, allow it to focus you and refine what it is that you're called to do. And thirdly, I wanna say this, don't let it stop you. Don't let opposition take you out. Have the courage to press on and get to the finish line. Your mind's telling you the certificate and the T-shirt you get at the end of the marathon's not worth it. In the marathon, God's called us to run has much better rewards than that. And there's great reward when we continue to press through with courage. So don't stop, don't give up. Don't let opposition be the thing that takes you out. Back to the book of Acts for a minute. Acts 8 chapter one tells us this. It says that on that day, in the context of the story, on this particular day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered. The church is just decimated in its gathered sense. It's scattered to the ends of the earth. Acts 8 chapter one. Acts 8 chapter four. Listen to what happened to the scattered ones. Those who were scattered ran away and hid and got on with their life. No, no, those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts 5.40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So in Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 14 verse 19. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. If there's a good day to give up, there's a good day to go on a holiday, there's a good day to walk away from it all, that's the day. But the very next verse, but after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. Don't let it take you out. 
if God's called you to something, if God's asked you to live a life that's faithful to Him, if right now you're working out what it means to follow Jesus and there's some tough stuff in that, don't give up. Don't give up. You know why we should never give up? Because we actually one day will have the victory. Paul writes this, a different part of the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Listen to this. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, for He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, if you don't give up, if you press through, one day the victory will come. All of those first disciples of Jesus met an early end because they lived the life Jesus called them to. But guess what? They found the victory. They together in one voice now can proclaim, O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? They didn't just receive a t-shirt, they didn't receive a voucher, they didn't receive a certificate. They received a crown of glory and life everlasting. Do not give up, expect opposition, train for it, allow it to focus you, but do not give up because Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Father God, right in this moment, I think there's some people in this place right now that are right on the edge of giving up. They've had enough. It's just got too hard, too difficult, too taxing, and they don't know where to turn. But Father, today I believe you've sent me just to speak a word of encouragement into their spirit, that the words that you want to speak to them today are do not give up. Father, you by your Holy Spirit want to give them a new resolve, a new courage to step into all that it is you've called them to. And so Lord, today I want to pray that you would minister deeply. God, that we would continue just to be faithful to the things that you call us to, whether it in our family or our business or in our ministry. For those of us that are just starting out in this Christian life, Jesus said we would continue to be faithful to do the little things that you're calling us to do. And Father, we celebrate today that you have the victory and one day that victory will be ours. God, as we expect more opposition, as we see more opposition, God, sustain us through that, I pray. Help us find the joy and the fruit that comes from being faithful to serving you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church, let's jump on our feet this morning. We're gonna sing a song that I think just leans into what I've been speaking about. And I just reckon there's some of us today that need some people to gather around us in prayer. As I said, the best thing we can do is surround ourselves with a cheer squad. And maybe the first step for you today is to say, I'm right there. I just feel like giving up. I feel like throwing it in. I've had enough. It's just got too tough. I just feel like it's been faithful to God and I just don't understand why it's just so hard. God's encouragement to you today is don't give up. He wants to give you a new resolve and a new courage. And we would love to stand around you this morning and pray for you. I'd love to surround you with people of faith that just want to lift you before Jesus and pray into your circumstance and situation. So as we sing this last song this morning, I want to encourage you right now just to move from where you are to come to the front. We're going to get some of our pastoral team, our prayer team are going to move right now. They'd love to stand with you. They'd love to pray into whatever it is you're facing that you may know the courage of God, the resolve of God, and you might experience the victory of God. Come on, church, let's sing. You start to move wherever you are.